1: Hello, Bulls fans, and welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ, a Chicago Bulls podcast on the Blue Wire Sports Podcasting Network. We are brought to you today by Untuck it. Thank you for them for sponsoring this show and thank you to you for joining on this episode of the show one where we can actually finally talk about a win Bulls fans it was a win it was an ugly win a tough watch if you haven't watched it but uh here today to talk with me about the Bulls' win against the Detroit Pristons is the co-host of the Cash Considerations podcast I'm sure if you're listening to Bulls HQ you're listening to Cash Considerations here's Jason Patton he joins me now Jason how are you mate I'm doing well. I'm certainly doing much better than the Pistons. For as much as we like to crap on the Bulls and like
0: the state of their rebuild and this general state of things, uh the Pistons look the uh, look way worse somehow. Uh so yeah, tonight's game was the Bulls won by twenty, but it was like an ugly twenty-point win.
1: <laughs> well let me ask you, like it was one oh nine to eighty-nine, a bulls twenty-point win. I think it was the largest win in Jim Boylan's career, or at least matched it, so I guess that's something. um, (laughs) As much as this was a Bulls win, was it as much as a a Pistons loss to a degree as well? Like, you just mentioned how bad they were. Blake Griffin looked damn bad out there. I want to give, obviously, Bulls credit for, for getting this win, but at the same time, man, the Pistons are bad. Yeah, it was definitely a combination of both. Like, the, I
0: don't think the Bulls played that well. They only shot 43%. They shot sub-43%. They did hit 14 threes, which was great. Uh, Lowry finally looked pretty good again. Uh, a, a big story, I guess, was Shaq Harrison starting because Otto Porter Jr. is out for a few more weeks. Uh, Chandler Hutchison had short sore shins so, for some reason, and now he has no timetable, He so he's got another injury, so sh- uh, Jim Boylan goes with football guy Shaq Harrison in the starting lineup, and he actually was great, like from the start, 15 points, 11 rebounds, 5 assists, 3 steals, he even made a 3-pointer, I mean, you know he really can't shoot, but he made a 3, so he brought some nice energy that was good to see, the Bulls played hard, they they won the rebounding battle 55-46 to 46 as well, they shot well from 3, but... A lot of, and, and I do have to give them some credit for their defense, holding the Pistons to sub-34% shooting and 8 of 33 from 3. But, I mean, that's not all Bulls defense. I mean, the Pistons were just, like, out of it from, like, the very beginning. The Bulls jumped out to a 19-6 to lead right from the start. You mentioned Blake Griffin. I mean, he looked, like, I mean, totally washed. I know he had the knee surgery. He missed the beginning of the year with the knee thing and I think a hamstring issue as well. But, I mean, it was just bizarre seeing how bad he was. Just no lift no effort he had 16 points on 4/15 shooting games. he was a minus 26 four turnovers so he was bad drummond the bulls broadcast even noticed how drummond just kind of wasn't engaged he fouled out in 34 minutes he fouled larry marken twice on three pointers one of them was called a flagrant foul and they just got really nothing else from their, their starting guard trio was Langston Galloway, Luke Kennard, Bruce Brown, Tony Snell was hurt, Reggie Jackson still out. Galloway had like one little stretch in the second quarter there where he hit a couple threes, but besides that, like Derek Rose off the bench, got some MVP chance, got some love, he had 18 points, and the Pistons actually were a plus five in his minutes, but like besides Derek, Pistons were a hot mess, and just in general, they're a hot mess. So, I mean, good on the Bulls for taking care of business against a really terrible opponent. We've, there have been, Plenty of games so far this year already where they've not they've not done that. So the fact that they won and won comfortably was good. They now have two wins against the Pistons. So I guess the Bulls can beat the Pistons at home. We we've learned that from them so far this season. But uh, yeah, didn't really learn that much from this game other than like maybe it was good to see Lowry get, break out of a slump and Shaq Harrison. But uh, Jim Boylan loves him because he played football and he tries really hard.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I guess that's what makes it this game sort of confusing to a degree because. the the defense whilst it was okay at the same time Blake Griffin had no lift at all so blocking his shots or getting to or contesting his shots is made that much easier and like you mentioned Andre Drummond just did not look like he wanted to play basketball tonight for whatever reason. I guess part of that is on the Bulls, but at the same time, maybe that's just Drummond doing some Drummond things, which I guess he hasn't been doing that much this season. He actually has been pretty good this season. But yeah, he looked disinterested and beyond Derek Rose, this Pistons team is super bad. And yeah, it was, <laughs> it, was it was it was actually quite confronting watching them. And I was actually thankful to be a Bulls fan for once, watching a a team who uh, executes a lot worse at this point. So but Yeah, it's just weird as well because the Bulls' defense is probably, and you were mentioning this on Twitter, but they're going to be probably, if not top 10, then maybe top 12 in sort of defensive rating. So the Pistons largely are going to help that I'll help that metric look a lot healthier than what it is But at the same time The Bulls have been a team that are like bottom 10 In terms of giving up 3 So they allow so many 3's But somehow they're like 7th in the league in 3 point percentage of, From an, opponent, an opponent's perspective So that number will improve tonight as well Given that the Pistons only made 8 of their 33 3's So There is a bit of luck going on with the Bulls' defense, but at the same time, we will take this win because this would typically be that type of win where the Bulls would have thrown it away in pass. So I guess that is a win in itself, but you mentioned it there. The the big storyline out of this game was the fact that Lowry Markman looks somewhat normal.
0: Yeah, it was about time. uh, It's been really depressing watching Lowry lately. Uh, Like the game game against the Bucks last game, he just really struggled again. I mean, just all season, basically. Since that... big first game against the Hornets where he put up what it was like 35 and 17 it's just been really ugly he hasn't been able to shoot threes uh he's just been like he's looked soft his decision making has been brutal his ball handling when he's tried to uh take the ball to the rim he's been getting stripped all the time uh we did see this again today where he again tried another just like ridiculous dunk attempt like you can say that oh it's good he's being aggressive but like I feel like every game he's like been trying to dunk from like Half, mid, like midway through the paint on somebody, and it just gets either blocked back in his face or he stuffs it against the rim. That did happen again in this game, but in general, uh, the fact that he had 24 points on 7 of 14 shooting, he actually shot well from three. He got a great shooter's bounce uh, to start this game, where he bricked it off the back of the back of the rim, and it went super high, and then somehow fell in. So that had it's maybe a little karma, just maybe a little. Just get uh, he's missed so many open threes, so just getting a little good luck there was nice to see. Uh, he also went seven for eleven from the free throw line, so that was good. He hasn't been getting the line more than usual, so that's been nice. Uh, and he didn't really do much else. Like you could say, he played good defense against Blake Griffin. I'm pretty sure he did stone him, but basically, Blake Griffin was playing defense against himself out there. Uh, he Lowry didn't have any assists, which has been a problem. So I mean, still, so he's really just not much. He's just more of like a the spot up shooting type. But he did do some nice stuff off the dribble as well. So overall, like I'll take the baby steps because he he has looked so bad. Obviously, I know a lot of people are concerned about what kind of ceiling he has now, the way we've seen it. Again, not a great, great performance. 24-6, and six, no assists, one steal, two blocks isn't like outstanding, but it's a step in the right direction. Hopefully, he'll be able to build off it.
1: Yeah, 100%. Now, this is only the third game for Mark in this season where he shot 50% or better, which is yeah to i guess sums up his his play really like he we're 15 games in and he's only had three games or he's only shot 50% or better that's that's pretty poor but it was also his sixth game with 40% better so given all that, his shooting obviously has been bad. He's, he's predominantly a shooter. And if, if, if that's all you're really giving and, and and well, that's all you really are and you're not really giving anything more than that, then obviously that is problematic. But we all know about Larry's struggles thus far, but it was nice to see him getting that 24.7 of 14 shooting three from four from the three-point line. Importantly as well, got to the foul line 11 times. A lot of that was due to the Pistons being uh, Dumbasses, I guess, by fouling <laughs> yeah. by uh, by fouling uh, Larry behind the three point line. So we'll definitely take those three easy points for marketing, But I think as well, the fact that Satoransky was pretty, Well, Sadoransky was aggressive was just something he needs to be more generally. But the yep. fact that he was sort of looking out and trying to get Larry involved in the game early on, it, I don't think it was a coincidence that Larry had his best game since opening night given that Sadoransky was sort of funneling the ball to him early. He had seven quick points. Sadoransky had three assists, many of them coming on, off marketing. So I think that was a factor as well.
0: Yeah, Sataransky had a really nice game. Like you mentioned, just kind of setting the table early. And then he kind of helped put the game away with a couple of three-pointers late. He had 15, seven, four rebounds, two steals. It's basically a solid game from... Mo, up and down the roster mostly except for Zach Levine who was absolutely bad and like Zach has been just bad I guess in general a lot because we've, I know we've talked about marketing a lot but Zach had a tough night but yeah it was nice to see Sadransky play well. Uh, and just, we saw some, some of the guards off the bench play pretty well again. Chris Dunn had another pretty solid game. Arch hit, hit a couple three pointers. Kobe White went three of three from three. So yeah it's a pretty solid game
1: from the guards outside of Zach Levine what do we make of Levine at this point? Because it wasn't just, you know, he had a bad shooting night, two from 11 from the field. That'll happen occasionally. But this, I guess his decision making, which again, has been a problem this season, that was pretty, pretty bad in this game as well. There was one point where Shaq Harrison did Shaq Harrison things. He made a defensive stop, hustled his ass off, got the ball back, got the ball to Zach Levine, who had Sadaransky streaming up up ahead and all he really needed to do was throw a basic pass, but for whatever reason, he just threw the ball out of bounds, missed Sadoransky by a mile. I, I don't know what he was actually trying to do, but it, it was just weird things like that. It's clearly, I mean, we talk about Blake Griffin being maybe not engaged. Certainly that was the case for Andre Drummond, but it kind of felt that way for Zach Levine too. He didn't seem like he was in this game at all.
0: Yeah, he, and this has been a thing all year too, uh, just missing shots around the rim. He He had a few nice drives where he got all the way to the rim, uh, and then he just missed them, uh, He and he got, drew no, no fouls. He took zero free throws. Uh, so, yeah, 2 of 11 from the field. He was 1 of 8 on two-pointers. And Like I said, again, a lot of those were right at the rim. Uh, maybe you could argue he could have gotten fouls called, but I feel like I, there were none where it was like super egregious. And I'm pretty sure that's been an issue all year. His finishing around the rim has not been up to par. Uh, he's been getting blocked a lot around the rim. I believe his free throw attempts for the season are down. So just overall, like, I mean, he has not been good. I mean, again, going back to that Bucks game as well, when him and Lowry came back in the game, when the game was in, was basically hanging in the balance and ba- those two basically helped them, help the Bulls choke it down the stretch. And we've seen it, we've seen, we've seen Levine win a few games with some tough shooting down the stretch, but we've also seen him with a ton of bad decisions, just struggling to finish. I mean, his overall numbers this year are, are pretty sure way worse than last year. Like coming into tonight's game, he was 21, 4 and 4, which is, I guess the rebounds and assists are about the same, but the scoring is down, the efficiency is down, and obviously that doesn't even include tonight's game. I haven't seen his updated sets yet. But, uh, that, that, that whole all-star campaign that, like, he he was pushing and the Bulls are pushing and I totally bought into the hype, like, unless he really turns around in a big way fast, like, that thing is, that
1: is about dead already, 15 games into the season. Yeah, I mean, if the Bulls remain one of the worst teams in, in the East, then it's pretty much dead based yeah, on that alone. I'm pretty sure but...
0: they're ninth right now in the East, though, dude. <laughs> they're <laughs> like a game out
1: of the eighth seed because the East is a joke. <laughs> I, I It really is. I want to talk about the schedule a little bit later because I think there's a chance here for the Bulls to get some winning going, assuming they're good enough. But, I mean, yeah, that that is a fair point. The East is just ridiculously bad. But, yeah, I, I don't know what he's up with Zach Levine. And I feel kind of stupid and embarrassed for buying into the Levine hype earlier in the season because... It felt like something was real based on the way he was going about it in preseason. I think it was justifiable that we felt he had improved from last season. And I thought he had a pretty decent season last season as well, given that he was coming back from the ACL. But yeah, for whatever reason, he just doesn't have it right now. But zero free throw attempts. And during the game, I don't know what maybe looked this up, but maybe it was the fact that he got blocked. But anecdotally, he always felt like he gets blocked a ton, maybe more so than a lot of a lot of the rest of the players in the league. And I, I looked it up during the game and there was one point when Andre Drummond blocked Zach Levine and that was actually the 23rd time that Levine had been blocked this season, which is just behind Colin Sexton and Ja Morant, two inexperienced players who are obviously still learning their way in the game. But Zach, obviously in year six at this point, but for whatever reason, when he drives, he's either he, he, he's just basically go- going for that straight line drive, and he doesn't really have the ability to to change direction or to throw a hesitation in there, or even just to 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 drive and, and look as or to make a drive to be that passer. He looks like he makes his decision before he makes the drive, and he's just going in there gun ho and just trying to make to make the play over these bigs, and a, a lot of the time he's getting blocked. But I want to talk about Levine's shot profile because it's a thing that. Well, it's yeah. a narrative that continues to be uh, a talking point for, for some, at least. I won't uh, name any names, but um, it's it's just weird because he's, he's taking his shots from the right spots, which is what you want to see. But at the same time, I think we were having this conversation on Twitter the other day. Yeah. You can argue that some of the shots that he is taking in these specific zones, maybe some of these shots are bad shots. 80% of his shots are either coming at rim or, or from the three-point line, but- it does feel like some of the some of the time that these shots are forced shots. He's taking the right shots as such, or at least from the right zones, but the shots that he's creating in those zones are, are pretty bad.
0: Yeah, I think one one of the things we were talking about is maybe he could turn some of those. Contested shots at the rim that he's missing into more open mid-range shots. Obviously, the mid-range thing has been like a huge talking point. Blah 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 about that. We and I don't think any of us want him to complete. We want him to get rid of like the early clock contested like pull-ups and fadeaways. But there are times when like if he's like probing the defense off like a pick and roll, and if he can pull up right into an easy like fifteen-foot mid-range shot, absolutely take that. Like we don't want the contested ones. We don't want the, like the fadeaways over with early in the clock or whatever, but if you have an open mid-range shot, absolutely, Zach Levine should take those shots. So maybe if he, if he can work maybe a little better with the in-between stuff instead of just like forcing stuff into the rim, that, that's kind of, that's the kind of stuff that he should be doing, whether it's maybe getting a floater. I feel like he doesn't really put up that many floaters, uh, and I, because I feel like he, he when he goes in the rim, in the paint like that, he ends up trying to take it all the way, and we've just seen him really struggle. I mean, right now he is shooting exactly fifty percent uh, at 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 the at the rim. Uh, he's and he's only I guess he's only four of twenty five uh, non rim paint shots. So clearly he's got no in between game there. Uh, he doesn't really have like a floater he can rely on or anything like that. He's eleven of twenty three from mid range. So. He is shooting well from mid range. I do think that's probably because he's picking his spots. Clearly, when he's only got 23 attempts from there, but I mean, he could take more of them if they're if they're like open off pick and roll. If if teams are giving it to him, he can take those. Or he's just gotta he's just gotta get a floater or some type of shot in the paint when he's not going all the way into the trees. Because right now, I do think I'm assuming the finishing will kind of come around, and this might just be just like a down down point for him. But clearly. I think some of it probably has to do with just forcing shots in there when
1: it's not in there, when he could use a shot maybe a little further out. Yeah, definitely. He certainly does need more more uh, variation to his dribble drive game. I think you could say the same thing about Kobe White. He too gets yep. blocked quite often, but they just they just feel like they're straight line drivers. They don't have that in-between game, as you mentioned. They don't have that floater game. There's no hesitation or ability to sort of break guys off the bounce and and, and maybe you know implement a euro step of sorts or some yep. sort of spin move or whatever it may be whatever that whatever the move is it it yeah it kind of feels like he's just got. One option when he's sort of driving to the basket, but it, yeah, it, it's been problematic for Levine. But he was actually quite good at the at rim last season, so yep. I guess there right. there is upside. We've seen him do it, so maybe he can turn it around. But a bit of a concerning game for Levine. Only five points, four assists, three rebounds. Didn't do much else. Probably didn't really need to come back in the fourth quarter, but he, he got back on the court. But um, I want to talk about the rest of the Bulls, maybe talk about Sadoransky. I want to definitely talk about that wing rotation because it's a bit of a weird one going forward. But before I do, let me tell the listeners about this week's sponsor. The holidays are almost here, and you know what that means? Gifts. And what better gift to give a guy in your life than a stylish shirt that fits just right? Unlike most brands, untucked shirts are actually designed to be worn untucked. Untucked shirts always fall at that just right length, no matter his size, so he looks casual and sharp. I don't know about you guys, but if you've bought shirts online, just like I have, often the case is you get a shirt that looks nice in the picture, but the length of the shirt isn't what you had in mind, the material may not be exactly what you thought you'd be getting when you purchased it online, But in my experience with Untucked, I've never had that issue before. The shirt always fits the way I thought it would, it hangs the way I thought it would, and the material and quality of the shirt is always top notch. With more than 50 fit combinations, Untucked shirts look great on tall, short, slim and athletic guys of all ages. You can find your favorite Untucked style online or check out one of their 80 brick and mortar stores. Choose from styles like a wrinkle-free button-down, super soft flannels, outerwear, and more. With It, your shirts will never look baggy, bulgy, too long, or even too big again. And best of all, their website is easy to use. They even have a whole page devoted to helping you find your fit. So whether you're shopping for the perfect holiday gift or just trying to craft a smart and relaxed style of your own, Untucket is the way to go. Visit Untucket.com and use code Blue for 20% off at checkout. That's U-N-T-U-C-K it.com and promo code blue for 20% off. Alright, back to the podcast now. And Jason, I want to talk more about Satoransky because I think with Levine being as bad as as he was in this game offensively, this could have been a game where if Sato was his passive self, as we've sort of seen in the previous 14 games, that this could have been Maybe a lot closer. We talked about the Pistons looking pretty damn bad, and the Pistons being bad in this game. But there were points where they were actually leading in the game, or as a sing- or if the balls were leading, it was a sing- uh, a single digit lead sort of thing. So, had Satoransky not come out and been aggressive, then this game may have been a lot closer than what it ended up being. But what did you like from Satoransky from today against the Pistons, and do you think? he can keep this up going forward in terms of his aggression and, and and being more of a focal point in in the offense itself.
0: Yeah, I mean you mentioned just kind of er, setting the tone early on with the playmaking and and stuff like that. And I feel like he he's kind of done that a lot where he kind of starts the game. I think was it the last game against the Bucks where he came out and like scored five, the first five points and then he just kind yeah, of yeah. and then he just kind of goes away and like over the like by like the second half, he's just like a complete non-factor. In this game today, he started well, but then he also had some big baskets in the second big bad quote unquote big baskets. It obviously really wasn't a competitive game, but he did hit a few threes again to basically make sure that there was no Pistons comeback, even though I don't think anything was gonna <laughs> there was nothing going on there for the Pistons. But then he had a nice game over the course of the game. We like we haven't really seen that that much this year. We saw it in that Hawks game where he outplayed Trey Young, where he put up big I think twenty-seven points. That was like a, a career game. But we need to just see we need to see him not only come out. And be aggressive like he does like for like the first his first stint. We also need to see that over the course of a full game. Because He's obviously a good player. We we he, he's an efficient player. He's a smart player. We saw him do really well playing leading the team, leading uh, his team at. at uh, at the FIFA World Cup, like we, I feel like we know he's got it. In him. He, I think by naturally, he's never going to be a guy where you're going to pass him the ball and he's going to go like, just get, go off and like have huge games all the time. That's not what we we should expect from him. But he is better than I think that when he has shown. I know Boylan has talked about it how he's he's got to play with he's got to play with a little more thrust, be a little more aggressive, and just maintain that maintain that aggressiveness throughout the full game instead of just kind of starting with it and then just kind of. Falling back because one of the one of the reasons I thought Sadoransky would be a really nice fit in the starting lineup was well he wouldn't be like a low a high usage guy he'd be, he'd be a solid smart player who could knock down threes play off Zach Levine but with Levine really struggling right now and Lowry struggling a bit I think we need to see a bit more out of Sadoransky. and I do think he's got it in him we just got to see it a bit more.
1: Yeah, 100%. I I totally agree. And had he been a bit more passive today, and maybe if he doesn't get out there and and start the way he did and connect with Larry the way he did, then maybe this game, the result of it looks a little bit different. So, yeah, it is interesting. But at the same time, I kind of feel like Boylan has been jerking Saturansky around a little bit because he only had 18 minutes against the Bucs, which is kind of weird considering that Chris Dunn played 25, Ryan Archidiakno had 27 minutes against the Bucs on Monday, and then Kobe White had 25 as well. So... He's sort of more reliant on his reserves at this point. And I don't think Sadoransky was that bad to only warrant 17, 18 minutes against the Bucs. And we talked about him getting off to a, a good start against the Bucs. But it's hard, hard to come back and, and you know continue on that rhythm when you're not actually being given minutes. Yeah. So he, there have been games this, in, this season, rather, where he's, he's been playing either high teens or low 20s in minutes, which is kind of weird. But, uh, I mean... Jim Boylan's rotations in, more in general are weird, which is probably a good segue into the next point that I wanted to make. We've already roughly touched on it, but obviously Shaq Harrison got the start today because Chandler Hutchinson was out for this game with sh- uh, sore shins. And obviously Otto Porter has missed the last six games with his foot issue. That is going to be a lingering problem for the next few weeks based on what Boylan has said. So Shaq Harrison looks like he will be the starting small forward at this point. Uh, I guess we'll see if Chandler Hutchison can return on the weekend, but I wouldn't be surprised at this point if Shaq Harrison starts even when Hutchison is back. But I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to talk about the wing rotation. We talked about Harrison's game, but What do you make about the way Boylan is handling his sort of wing rotation? And I I, I, I go back to that Bucks game as as well, where Ryan Archidiakno played the last 16 minutes of the game, which was kind of insane. And maybe that's odd for me to say, given how much I love (laughs) Ryan Archidiakno. (laughs) But um, it's kind of ridiculous the way this whole wing rotation is being managed at this point, when Hutchinson has only been playing 22 minutes in the last five games prior to being hurt. Obviously, Shaq Harrison came into the starting lineup today. He was probably the Bulls' best player, maybe beyond Larry Marketing. Uh, I guess I, that, that's fair to say. He had the 26 minutes today, but Denzel Valentine couldn't get a look for whatever reason against this bad Pistons team. Yeah, well, What do you make about the whole wing rotations, Boylan's decision making, and his whole handling of the uh, the wing rotation itself? Clearly, Denzel is in the doghouse.
0: He couldn't even get yeah. out for garbage time. Like, in the last, whatever, two minutes, he wouldn't even play yeah. then. And, and like, clearly, I don't know if Boylan's trying to send a message to him. He just doesn't want to play him at all. Like, I mean, clearly there's something going on there where he just has no interest in playing Denzel. Because he had that snippy answer, like, a week ago and, like, asked him, like, you couldn't even put Denzel out there at the end of a blowout. And he said, oh, I just didn't want to do it. Like, clearly there's something going on there. I'm really curious why. I mean, not that Denzel Valentine is going to be some, like, huge help. I mean, he might be able to help somewhat. Like, I mean, he hasn't played in a long time, like, real minutes. He is a good shooter. He's a decent playmaker, decent rebounder for his position. So the fact that he, didn't, he just can't even get off the bench in garbage time is kind of wild. You talk about the like the Archie Giaccono and like Kobe White stuff and these like long stretches where like they're playing like whatever fifteen straight minutes of close games like that's outrageous. I know you wrote about that at Bloggable. Uh, I mentioned it. I wrote something about Otto Porter Jr.'s injury and how it's kind of leading to leading to these just these long stretches of minutes for these for these undersized guards. Like God bless Ryan Archie Giaccono. Like he's he plays his ass off all the time. He's shooting like fifty fifty percent from three this year. We know how hard he tries, but. Just like if right Ar- Arch Diakono is playing twenty five minutes a game and he's and he's closing out games against the Milwaukee Bucks, like you're just you're not going anywhere. Like I, he, the guy he's a bench player. He's he's like I feel like every team should want a guy like him with just the way he hustles. Giannis gave him some love after the game, kind of threw some shade at the rest of the roster, kind of saying, "Oh yeah, Arch tries, but like nobody else really does," which isn't totally fair. But yeah, I just I mean clearly Boylan has his favorites. He loves Arch. Uh, he's given Kobe White a lot of minutes. He doesn't, he seems like he doesn't love Hutch that much. I mean, Hutch isn't very good, but I mean, he's the kind of guy, he, he does play hard and he defends. So, like, I thought maybe he, he would get maybe some more minutes. Obviously, he's hurt now, but clearly he's got, Boylan's got, he loves Arch. He loves Shaq Harrison. Uh, tonight's game against the Pistons was like a game where you could easily get away with playing Shaq Harrison at the three and the lineup the Bulls did because, again, the Pistons had. Luke Kennard Bruce Brown and Langston Galloway as their three guards so just absolutely awful like you don't have to worry about them and I feel like and Shaq I feel like really not on the scouting report so he can kind of kind of surprise them if you will like with, with his energy especially against a team that doesn't have any really doesn't have didn't have a point guard out there so with no like legitimate ball handlers and creators like Shaq Harrison could do some damage against that, but if you're going to, once the the Bulls play, I mean, just look at, they're playing the Heat coming up, they're playing Jimmy Butler, and the Heat are playing great, Uh, Jimmy, like, Duncan Robinson hit eight threes today, Uh, Kendrick Nunn's been playing great, like, they got Goran Dragic off the bench, Uh, they got a deep roster, Uh, I think they're like 10 or 11 and 3 right now, like, that that might not work so much with Shaq Harrison playing the 3, like, we'll see, it's going to be a really good test, but... I mean, I know there's obviously, we talked about how the wing depth was going to be a problem coming in, and now, like, the worst fears are being realized with Porter missing an extended time, and now Hutch as well, so I mean, they're just going to have to make do with what they got, and we're going to see a lot of Arch and Shaq and Kobe White and Chris Dunn, so we'll see. At least Chris Dunn's been playing
1: better off the bench. I've really liked him much better in his role as a bench guy. Yeah, he's, he's been one of the better stories this season, but I, I guess what's funny to me is Boylan is quick to tell us all that he, management anyone that I guess is connected to the Bulls Bryce they're all so aligned and they've never been more aligned blah 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 he's quick to mention that in in the press as he did uh today actually before the Pistons game which is kind of odd to me because I I guess you can read into that in in a number of ways but I, I guess one way you could read into it is maybe management is having their say in terms of rotations or at least sort of you know, putting their input into that space, which is kind of weird if you sort of think that that's sort of playing out. That they wouldn't want Chandler Hutchinson playing more than twenty-two minutes a game, <laughs> particularly when Otto Porter is out. Given that they that they drafted him in the, the first round last season, he was the promise, the the prince that was promised as such. He was the the piece that came back for Nicole Imiric. You and and with Otto Porter out, he's the lone actual small forward in the rotation. Given that Porter's out, so like it's it's weird that he wouldn't be getting some developmental minutes. Um, more generally, but the fact that he is the lone wing on the team, that kind of doesn't make sense. And his he, what he brings to the table, the fact that he's a defensive player, he's a rebounder. They're, they're things this Bulls team needs. So it, it is weird that he's not playing, and Boylan is rolling out with his favorites. But I guess what made it even weird, more weird today, was the fact that Kobe White wasn't even going to play in this game, given that he sprayed his ankle prior to the, prior to the game in warm up So he was a game tied game time decision. He ended up playing. He had 12 points, so he looked okay out there. But you would think even given the fact that he uh, he, he missed or well, was potentially going to miss this game, that in the final couple of minutes, instead of putting Kobe White back out there, maybe you would throw Denzel Valentine <laughs> out there. I mean, the Pistons back up wings at this point and Markeith Morris and... Uh, uh, Zv Mikhailuk. I mean, Luke played 14 minutes for the Pistons. <laughs> He's like less athletic than Denzel at this point. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's bizarre. It's it's weird. Clearly Boylan doesn't like Valentine for whatever reason. He's this season's Jabari Parker, but it's it's just a weird situation to the point where I'm wondering like what the point of Denzel even being on this roster is at this point. He's obviously a restricted free agent in June. Why why even waste time with him? I mean, just trade him, wave him, do something, and use that roster spot on an actual wing that you can put into the rotation of sorts. Take a take a chance on someone uh that's not on not in the league, maybe sign someone or, or put one of your two-way guys up. I mean Max Stross, he was part of the uh rotation. Uh, it, was, it was up with the Bulls today it didn't get any minutes but like I just don't get it I guess is my point and I, I can't believe I'm waxing poetic <laughs> know, here about Denzel I Valentine know. for the last five minutes but it's just odd it's just weird yeah
0: I'm guessing maybe because he's a fir- he was basically like a borderline lottery was he a lottery pick he was 14th right so at the very end of the lottery something like that yeah 14th you know, or
1: 16th yeah. one of the two like,
0: yeah. I just don't know if they just like don't want to like admit that mistake and totally bail on him especially because he missed all of last year and they want to like see him work in shape and prove it like obviously we don't know Everything that's going on, like behind the scenes, there, but yeah, it is definitely yeah. bizarre. I mean, the fact that he didn't even get on the court in garbage time is absolutely bizarre. Like, what? Yeah, why is Kobe White going back out there when he's had the so sw- he had the sprained ankle? Like, that's like a perfect time or just let him have a break. You get Denzel out there for a few minutes. So, I, I I didn't see if anybody asked about that after the game yet. I'll definitely will kinda look out for that. But yeah, that just makes absolutely no sense. And like the point about yeah, like trade I mean, no one's gonna trade you anything for him and like I he's a guarantee yeah. he's got a guaranteed contract in the last year of his rookie deal. Like I they probably just don't want to eat that money, but like yeah, if if he's just using this roster spot like and he's not gonna play him, like I mean that's just a, that's basically two wasted roster spots with Felicio there as well. It's ridiculous. <laughs>
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. It, it, it's weird. It's strange. But uh, enough talk about Denzel Valentine. <laughs> it's more than enough. But um, I guess before we move on, uh, just a quick shout out to Wendell Carter, who, again, just put up a double-double. Unsung hero of this Bulls team thus far this season. 12 points, 15 rebounds, slowly becoming one of the better offensive rebounders in the NBA. He had five offensive rebounds, which is pretty damn good. I understand that the Pistons' front court looked disengaged, so maybe that helped Wendell crash the boards. But he had... Five offensive rebounds, five, fifteen in total, and maybe it's a lot easier to grab those rebounds when the Pistons are, are missing a bunch of shots as they were today. But shout out to Wendell Carter. Unfortunately, we didn't get the same Daff- Daniel Gafford game that we get we got against the Bucs, He was a pretty damn amazing <laughs> against the Bucks, but um, only the two points tonight against the Pistons maybe came back to came back to earth and. Maybe the Pistons scouted him a lot better they than did. what the the <laughs> yeah. Bucks did, and you pretty much only have to watch out for his role game right. on offense. But um, I I guess he's in the rotation, which is a, a plus given that Luke Cornett is out now Well, out of the rotation more generally. But the fact that he's sort of missing games now with the sinus, well, he had sinus surgery, I think it was, so he he'll be missing time. But he's probably out of the rotation yeah, oh yeah. regardless. But uh, what were your quick thoughts about Daniel Gafford from? Maybe not this Pistons game, given he, he didn't do much, but maybe that that Bucks game.
0: Yeah, clearly, I think Gafford just kind of took the Bucks by surprise, and the Bulls were basically just doing whatever they could to get him lobs, throw it up by the rim. He was rolling and he was getting it. It was just really it was really nice to see him have that performance. He also just had a nice a few nice finishes just in general, even when they weren't lobs. So that was really nice to see. Obviously, again, yeah, once you scout him, because he doesn't really have any skills besides, like, jumping and dunking. Like I said, he had a few nice finishes, but, like, once you get him a few feet away from the basket, he couldn't can't really do much. So once teams scout that role a bit, uh, take that away, he won't be as effective. But then once te- if teams do that, that should open up things elsewhere for maybe three-point shooters or guys driving to the rim, they get buckets. Tonight against the Pistons, we definitely saw, I think, Drummond... Had a few nice plays. Just They, they clearly were w- were waiting or anticipating for those lobs. They knocked a few away. I think the Bulls were also trying to force a few of them in there. And the Pistons did a really nice job just kind of knocking those away. He, he did have a few nice blocks, though. He blocked Andre Drummond up, up against the rim with a really nice play. I think he might have blocked Rose as well on a drive. I can't remember exactly, but he did have two blocks. He did also have a nice putback. Uh, on a miss so he still did a few nice things even though the Pistons kind of took away that lob game but yeah it was just nice to see him get him out there because I feel like after Cornette was just absolutely terrible for those the first like couple weeks or what yeah that he was playing and everyone was like where's Gafford like get Cornette out heavier, especially because if the Bulls were pl- when they were playing that just like super aggressive defensive uh like the the trapping and stuff like that and Cornette just clearly couldn't handle it Gafford is a guy like if you want if you're going to do that trap like Gafford I know he's a rookie big but as he, at least he's athletic he can move his feet a bit more so it was just kind of bizarre that they hadn't given him that chance it was nice to see him get that chance and yeah from now on at this point I would assume Gafford will be in the rotation over Cornet. maybe they'll try Cornette in certain matchups moving forward having a stretch five out there can be useful at times for sure in playing the five-out offense. And I feel like Cornette's better than what he has shown, because I feel like he just wasn't being used properly with the defensive scheme. But uh, yeah, I hope Gafford, for the most part, gets the minutes, the rotation at this point moving forward.
1: Yeah, 100% agree. I, I, not to be a Cornet apologist, because no one wants to hear that at this point. But yeah, he was clearly mismanaged, but... I still think Gafford is pretty raw at this point. He probably won't play too many minutes going forward. I, I would assume like the Pistons did once you scout him on offense and just got to protect that role, then he's pretty easy to take out of the game. But this is the type of matchup against the Pistons where it makes sense to get him out there because they don't really have many center options beyond... Andre Drummond, I guess. And when you have a matchup where you've got like that rolling big, then that's the kind of the matchup that you can actually put someone like Daniel Gafford out there, even if he is raw and inexperienced yeah. and still clearly learning the game. But yeah, he was great against the Bucs. Hopefully, we get a little bit more consistency from him. But again, second-round rookie. We can't be expecting too much, but uh Yeah great game from him against the Bucs but the last note Jason that I wanted to make about this game before we talk about the upcoming schedule and we'd be remiss not to discuss this was the fact that this was I guess the official send-off for for Lowell Deng it was his retirement night so to speak he was welcomed back into Chicago obviously a few months ago he signed Uh, made that ceremonial signing for that one day with the Bulls to retire as a Bull. It was made official today at the United Centre. He got the send-off that he deserved in front of all the fans there at the United Centre. It made sense to do it today, or he wanted to do it today against the Pistons with Derek back in town. But it wasn't just Derek and Lou back in the building. Joakim Noah was there. Ben Gordon was there. Tyrus Thomas. There was a bunch of other Bulls as well. Aaron Gray, my guy. (laughs) Aaron Gray, for whatever reason. Uh, John Lucas was there. Yes. It was weird to see all those old Bulls. But it was good to see them on that note. Given that uh, Lou was being sent off on the on the right note, but. It's weird because I still have more of a feeling and nostalgia for this, for those old Bulls than I do for this current iteration, which is, I guess is somewhat bittersweet, but it was nice to see Lou, well, retire as a Bull to, to, to get that respect and that send off that he did get.
0: Yeah. It was awesome. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of shocked that Lou is like so, uh, forgiving and just like really <laughs> yeah, still into the Bulls yeah. considering they like almost killed him. But, uh, yes, yeah, I mean, yes. Lou, Lou all dang, just a solid two way player for so long for the Bulls. Uh, never just like a never a superstar type he had his flaws as an offensive player i know people complained about him with some of his offensive struggles but just so, so solid for so long he was an iron man when he played all those minutes for Tom Thibodeau, uh, he goes down as one of the best Bulls of all time, like, you you might not think about it, because he was never flashy, he never put up huge numbers, but with the longevity, with just the solid play for so long, he's one of the best Bulls of all time, like, maybe top, maybe, like, top 15, top 10, just, uh, he was around for so long, just a solid player for so long, so it was great to see Lou back, and he's obviously just a really good guy, good guy as well, does a lot of great, like, humanitarian work and all that kind of stuff, so... Awesome to see Luol thing and awesome to see all those other guys. Just I, I love Ben Gordon. We all love Joakim Noah, Tyrus Thomas. Like that was and Aaron Gray. Like, that, that's just so funny to see some of those old guys back in the building. And yeah, I mean, you mentioned like the nostalgia for those old teams. as Well, because those teams won, won games. They were they were they were like relatable. They were they were easy to root for. Because they played hard. They defended. They won. They won a good amount of games. So we're obviously hoping that. The bull, this Bulls team. I don't know if it's this Bulls team, but sometime in the future, the Bulls get back to winning a lot of games and being easy to root for.
1: Yeah, for sure. It's just weird though to to see the. I guess the United and the most hype it gets is when right. Derek checks in and yeah. they're, they're screaming MVP or when Joe Joakim sort of comes up on the on the big screen and they're going nuts in that occasion. But then they not necessarily cheering from the encore product, and I guess justifiably, there's not much to. Cheer about the current iteration of this team right now. I mean, it, the Bulls are five and ten. That there, there's not going to be too many moments where it's you know there's justifiably reasons for fans to be cheering out there. But it is kind of odd to see the uh, the old crew still get more love than the new guys. But it was nice to see Dang and Rose and, and the rest of the gang out there. But uh, yeah, it, it was good, to, good, a good send off for Lou. But before we close, Jason, I wanted to quickly talk about the schedule because I think for the next maybe five to 10 games at least. It opens up for the Bulls a little bit. We talked about just before how trash the rest of the Eastern Conference is. And coming up for the Bulls, the next two games, they've got a game against the Heat, which is going to be tough. It's at the United Center on Friday night, but that will be a tough game with Jimmy returning back to the United Center. I don't know if he'll get the same amount of love as those previous Bulls, but uh, I will certainly be cheering on Jimmy Butler at that point. But the next night on Saturday, the Bulls will hit the road against the Charlotte Hornets an opportunity to to make good for that you know terrible loss that they had on opening night but thereafter in years past these games would have been definite Ls but with given how bad the Blazers and the Warriors have been the, the next three games for the Bulls are the Portland Trail Blazers on Monday then they've got the, they hit the road on on Wednesday to face the Warriors uh, in Golden State, then they play the Blazers again on Friday on the road. So those are three potential wins for the Bulls. They'll get a chance to to go up against former Bulls legend Kamalo Anthony as well. <laughs> but the next five games, I'm going to pen, pencil it in as a loss against the Heat, but there's a chance that they could go maybe 4-0 and against those other teams, given how bad those teams have been.
0: So I would still expect them to lose in Portland. As, like, as long yeah. as Lillard and CJ are playing... I would, the, the Bulls always have a tough time. I mean, it's a tough place to play in general. I know the Blazers have been bad. But yeah, I mean, you got to beat the Warriors. The Warriors are a joke. They're all injured. You, that's a game you got to win. And then, you, yeah, you probably should beat the Blazers at home. Like, I don't, I, I don't, I don't want to pen any wins in at this point because it's just like I've done that for so many games already this season and then they've ended up losing. Like, like, even at Hornets, like that's a game they should win as well. And I said that for the first game of the year, I thought the Bulls were going to beat them by double digits and then they lose. They've lost to the Knicks they they lost they've lost to the Cavs so they've lost all these bad games where you say yeah they should go they should win all these games I'm not going to pencil any of them in but yeah it does give them a good a good chance because yeah in the past if this was like if this was last year you think they're going to lose all these games because when you're playing the Blazers and the Warriors so they have a little opportunity here uh and especially like the the West Coast trip has always looked so daunting but with the Warriors looking worse the Blazers looking worse uh I think they have like the Kings coming up too. Like they're they're playing a bit better, but I know they don't have like Darren Fox. So yeah, I mean a decent opportunity to at least maybe get back in it. And we talk about the East being bad. They're still right. Like I feel like the Bulls are gonna even if they're like on pace for like mid-third mid to low thirties and wins, I think they still might be in the race all season. Like the the bottom of the east is just that rough. Like maybe the nets get it together. Like maybe the the I think the magic they've been playing a little better, but I feel like no one's really going to separate that much from down there. So if the Bulls take care of business against some of these bad teams; they're going to be right in the mix probably for a long time.
1: Yeah, I mean they haven't beaten anyone that's above five hundred right, yeah. at this point, <laughs> so they're still not a good team. But maybe it's just me trying to justify my uh, my existence over the next coming months here, given <laughs> that we we pour so much energy into this Bulls team, we we would want to see some wins. But if they can go three and three and two yeah, over the next five, absolutely. get back to eight and twelve, yeah. then. Slowly but surely, they're getting closer to 500, and we've obviously we've all talked about the uh, the schedule at the back half of the year. That's going to be kind of brutal, so they need to sort of rack up these Ws now. But yeah, I don't even know if it's about getting to the playoffs at this point for me. It's just I just want to watch some semblance of decent basketball. So I think there's a chance here for the next you know week and a half for the team to. To get the shit in order, if they can actually be good enough to do it, let's we'll see what happens. But they are obviously missing Otto Porter and maybe Chandler Hutchinson, and that may make things a little bit more difficult. But uh there's there's some upside, I guess. There's some hope, but maybe I'm just, again, trying to justify that to myself. But uh, we'll see what happens. It all starts on Friday night against Jimmy and the Heat. That should be a fun game to, to watch. But, uh, mate, I appreciate you coming on. And in the rare chance Bulls fans aren't tuning into cash considerations or aren't following you online, where can they do so?
0: Obviously, listen to Cash Considerations. Me and Ricky O'Donnell shooting the, shooting the shit about the Bulls. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Bulls underscore J. And then you can follow my Bulls writing at Blogable. Wrote a, wrote a recap about the Pistons game tonight, the night, uh, Forbes. And then do some NBA Bulls, Pacers, betting stuff at both Bet Chicago and then Bet Indiana. Kind of just a combined website there. So and also follow, and also
1: check out clutchpoints.com as well. So yeah, bunch of places. Perfect. You're everywhere. I appreciate you coming on, mate. Uh, thank you for breaking down this this game with me. And I'm, I'm just glad we were able to talk about a win for a change.
0: Yeah, if they would have lost this one, uh, it would have been like full-blown panic mode. <laughs> just how bad <laughs> the Pistons look and
1: how bad they are. Definitely, <laughs> definitely. But uh, we avoided that. But uh, yeah, thanks again, mate. Yep, thanks. Uh, have a good one. Bulls fans, thank you for tuning into this episode of Bulls HQ. That just about does it for this one. Follow me online while you're at it. Hit me up on Twitter at MKHOOPS. Follow the show on Twitter too at Bulls HQ Pod. If you want to send me an email we'll, or be part of the Bulls HQ Discord forum, send me an email, Bulls HQ Pod at gmail.com. But uh, I mentioned the games that are coming up this weekend, Jimmy and the Heat on Friday night. Then we've got the Hornets on Saturday. We're we'll back to recap those games and talk all things Bulls on Monday. But until then, this has been Bulls HQ. Thank you for listening. Speak soon.